I'm Tyler Hake, and you're listening to Season 2, Episode 7 of Next Story Up, a smart building services podcast by Schneider Electric. Act 1. Speak now or forever hold your peace. I'd like to start this episode with a life update for my listener friends. This Saturday, my fiance and I are going back to our hometown to get married in front of our closest friends and family, and I could not be more excited. No one in the world is luckier than I am this week, and I really can't wait for the celebration and the outcome. My soon-to-be wife is not in the smart buildings industry, but she claims to subscribe, listen to, and even like this podcast, as I hope you do. If that's truly the case, I should find out pretty quickly based on the title and topic of this week's episode, Marriage. I don't know. Something told me that it'd be a prudent week for me to study up on the subject. So here's what marriage is, strictly speaking. A culturally recognized union between spouses that establishes rights and obligations between themselves and their new family. We all know that there's much more to it than these cold, hard terms. And if there weren't, I wouldn't currently feel as much trepidation as I do about the likelihood of my crying in front of over 300 people this weekend. Not that there's anything wrong with that, I'm just reporting the facts and the definition. Marriage codifies rights between new partners, and though these rights are different as cultures vary, they generally cover the following, as identified by Edmund Leach in 1955. Marriage establishes a legal father and mother of children. It establishes a romantic monopoly, as well as a monopoly on the fruits of one another's labor. It establishes joint control over property and a partnership of sorts for future benefits or shared funds, typically for offspring. And it of course binds in-laws, which in some cases winds up being the primary driver. It's historically and currently filled with restrictions. Some bad, such as prohibiting interracial marriage. Some good, such as prohibiting incest. It's recognized by some type of vested body, whether that be a state, an organization, a community, peers, a religious authority or a tribal group. Ours, for what it's worth, is sanctioned by the great state of New York. So we will be bound by the rights and obligations intrinsic to matrimony before the Empire State. If this sounds a lot like a contract to you, that's because it is. It's one set around love, in our case, and in most cases in America at least. But it's a contract nonetheless that, if you read about as long as I have in researching this episode, begins to remind you of the last three pages on the terms you've set with your phone carrier. It really is a beautiful and freeing thing, though, to commit yourself to another on joint terms such as these that formally establish rights which entrust and protect you both. For me, it's liberating to know that no matter how corny and poorly timed my jokes will be in the future, and let me assure you, they will be corny and they will be poorly timed, my wife will be committed to me or stuck with me depending on how you look at it. She's also stuck with me regardless of how unromantic my segues and analogies are, or so I'm told, but this seems like something that can be easily verified through live testing. If you think about it, marriage is a lot like working with the contractor. I mean, I've just described marriage as a contract, right? And contractors are kind of named after contracts, right? In both cases, you're entering into a high-stakes agreement for the betterment of both parties. In the case of marriage, a better life and in the case of construction, a better project. At the onset of each, terms must be reached. What is expected from me? What is expected from you? How often and when? At what cost? What are the penalties of violating one another's trust and confidence? 
These must be known and established when working with a contractor, just as with joining in matrimony. And the atmosphere for neither contract is static in 2019 either, is it? The prohibitions, landscape, and expectations of marriage have changed dramatically during my time on earth, from who's allowed to do it, to who's responsible for which portion of the burden, to who takes what name. The same is true for large construction projects. What are the goals and expectations for the project, and who is responsible for which aspect of it? Again, during my time on earth, buildings have gone from having things and no internet whatsoever, to having an internet of things. But just as before, there are still contracts in place. What has changed and will continue to change? What must change? What has stayed the same? As we know, it's bad luck to have your future spouse on as your podcast guest in the episode before you get married. So this week, I've settled for the other end of my metaphor and will be speaking with a contractor, sort of, as he'll explain, but definitely a partner, which seems just as effective for our theme this week, if you ask me. Jason Heindel is a smart building solutions architect at Faith Technologies, a strategic partner of Schneider Electrics, as we'll learn in today's discussion. He's a designer and implementer of Internet of Things technology solutions and a catalyst for change and innovation for his clients. He helps to improve their business outcomes through the use of integrated IoT technologies and solutions. Jason's also a pretty well-rounded and interesting guy in his own right, and we'll speak to him in Act 2. Act 2. Before you marry a person, you should first make them use a computer with slow internet to see who they really are. Will Farrell. And with that, let's dive right into the conversation with Jason. So Tyler, before we get started, on behalf of all the, uh, the Schneider partners and, and your colleagues and all your listenership, I think we should congratulate you on your pending marriage this coming Saturday. I hope it all goes well for you and you have a long life together with your lovely wife. You, you, you and me both, man. I'm really excited. The planning has been long and arduous and we're just excited <laughs> to do it. So I appreciate you bringing that up for us to get started. It's, it's obviously front and center of my mind to the point that it's made it into the podcast. I think, I think we do have to have a little bit of a conversation about how marriage is not necessarily a contractual obligation, <laughs> which I think rolls definitely into our, into our, our contractor discussion too, which I'd like to think of it more as a joint venture and a partnership than a, <laughs> some sort of contracted relationship, especially as we transition to, into the smart building field, right? It, it can't just be a, a contracted uh, relationship. Yeah, it's, it's all evolution, man. I think the joint venture makes a lot more sense, and maybe that's something I'll be talking about with Sarah, that we need to look at it from that perspective, but it's perfect. I, I appreciate you taking the time there to, to call that out, and obviously I'm very excited. Um, yes. Are you yourself married, Jason? I am, yes, to a wonderful woman for 11 years now. So, yes. yeah, I, I showed her your your thoughts on the the podcast and marriage as a contractual obligation, and she and I were laughing. And she always tells me I agree to more things than I remember in our vows, so I guess I have to take her word for it that uh, there's some things I agree to that in the heat of the moment I don't, I don't actually remember. So. <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to go by as a blur, and that's probably going to be some of that for sure. But as as you are married, do you have any advice for me for the wedding day itself? Yeah, don't try and be too nervous. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff swirling around you. It sounds like you have a large cast of characters coming for yours. 
just remember it's for you and Sarah. It's, you know, the rest of the people are just there to support and love you. Whatever you two think is important, that's what you should do. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I haven't thought about this as a joint venture, like in that term, until you've, you've brought it up for this call. And I'm going to have to probably go back to the drawing board. I obviously, I think part of the reason that I keyed it up this way is, you know, I knew I'd be having this conversation with you this week. And um, you're from the, the contractor community and, and you're a partner of Schneider Electric. I, I think it would be a great opportunity here if you could maybe provide the audience with an introduction to the history of your company, Faith Technologies, and also you know who you are as a company today. Sure. So we were, we were founded in 1972 in the Fox Valley of Wisconsin, which geographic purposes to call it about two hours north of Milwaukee, okay. or I guess three hours north of Chicago, if you want something bigger than that. Founded as a commercial industrial electrical contractor cut our teeth in the pulp and paper industry that was still active in this area, grown up from just a couple of people up to now we have plus or minus 3,000 employees okay. and work a geographic area from Wisconsin down through the Midwest into uh, Oklahoma and then heading to the east across Tennessee into Georgia and the Carolinas. There's probably been an open job number in 40 of 50 states this year, just rough counting. So started as a as electrical contractor. We've taken the electrical contractor off the tagline because systems and technology, obviously my piece of the business, building automation, yep. we're calling connected buildings, systems integration, smart buildings, energy, energy generation, reliability and sustainability, full service uh, engineering consultant, hundred or so engineers on staff and, and a bunch of different functions beyond just uh, typical electrical power engineering. It's actually really fascinating that you've that you've pulled the electrical contractor off the tag based on the way buildings have changed. I mean, it's, it's directly affected the way that you see yourself as a company. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the strategy is trying to help our customers improve their operations, whether that's helping and assisting with industrial automation for plant and manufacturing clients, or how we use building automation to solve business problems beyond just the typical building automation. Hey, it controls the temperature, the humidity, right. and the carbon dioxide levels. You know, and I think we're definitely on the cusp right now of where building technology is going to go. That's great. I, so we, we've spent a lot of time in this series speaking with people that are internal to Schneider Electric. I think the perspective from you there on how your company's interests and pursuits I have changed over time is, is going to be a really valuable insight for us to take. Lots of companies expanding in this direction all towards connectivity, data, and information. You know, I was at a, a conference, a technical exhibition yesterday for the Wisconsin Healthcare Engineering Association. Okay. Speaking with one of your Schneider colleagues who had been talking to a customer who said, oh, all this, all this you know, interconnectedness, this is just going to take people away from my facilities department and expand the role of the IT department. I thought that was an interesting observation. And I'm like, well, the other way of looking at it is, is we're trying to use technology so that you can free up your facility staff to actually do facilities work. And yes, the IT department is going to become more of a mainstay in the facilities management and construction world. Since the generation of the internet, everything in the building is going to run off the IT network. So For IT, sure. The IT department is going to have to modify themselves to become a facilities department, and the facilities folks are going to have to come to grips with the fact that they're going to have to be an IT department, too. I mean, we talk about the ITOT convergence a lot, and I think that you make an awesome point where it's going to allow facilities folks to be facilities folks. 
You know, using mm-hmm. that information, it's allow, it allows them to better focus on where their skills are best served and be able to be much more actionable with their time. Ultimately, that's going to be very, very liberating. Yeah, I think it, it, it'll free people. You know, there's healthcare organizations in the Milwaukee area where I, where I live. They can't acquire enough facilities management staff and are looking at ways to create internships and, and generate interest in people going into that industry. And I think that's just one of hundreds of industries across the country that are, that are facing labor shortages. So let's start using technology to solve the lack of human capital. Yeah, for sure. At Schneider Electric, we like to say free up your energy. That's one of the things that we say. How um, how does your work uh, involve Schneider Electric? Where does that come in for, for you guys at Faith Technologies? At Faith Technologies, we are aligned with uh, Schneider as a strategic partner from the, the highest levels of uh, leadership within Faith and leadership within Schneider in the United States. Uh, I guess there's 180-some Schneider Buildings partners across the country, of which we are lucky enough to be one of those. But beyond that, we're a critical power and a connected power partner on the metering monitoring side. Obviously, we're working collaboratively, and I think we'll talk a little bit later about microgrid service generation. We're an APC dealer, we're an ASCO dealer, and obviously, we're a Schneider slash Square D power partner as well. So heavily aligned across all, all Schneider business units, as well as uh, Schneider Industrial Automation, Monocon, Augmented Operator Advisor, and some of those product lines as well. I get the feeling that Augmented Operator Advisor is something that you might find interesting. I haven't actually got to play around with that yet. And it's really great to hear how closely aligned Faith Technologies is with Schneider Electric and you clearly know very, very much about Schneider Electric and, and all the things that we offer. In, um, in my research, I was looking to f- learn uh, as much as I could about Faith Technologies, and I was fortunate enough to learn, you know, to continue in that wedding theme, that there is a, a recent story you all published about a wedding, um, and I was wondering if you might be able to describe that customer story for us in a way to tie back to our introduction and talk about your company uh, with that wedding backdrop. Yeah, absolutely. So a number of years ago, there is a nature center here in the the Fox Valley in Appleton, Wisconsin, and our leadership became involved with it, and they needed a facilities refresh and a way to be sustainable financially. And under our CEO, Mike Jansen's leadership, was decided that they were going to rebuild their campus. And as part of their rebuilding of their facilities to make it available for things such as weddings to get rented out for in this nature preserve, our leadership decided that uh, it would be a good place to experiment and build a research and development microgrid project, which we developed jointly with support from Schneider Electric using multiple Schneider building system products. So it's building controlled by ecostructure building operation. Power and control is by power monitoring expert, power SCADA operation, as well as ecostructure, microgrid advisor, and microgrid operation. It's a fairly complicated microgrid for research and development purposes. It has five different generating sources besides the electric utility. So it is it is capable of running islanded with no connection to the utility. And a month or two ago, we had some very serious 
thunderstorms rolled through Wisconsin, knocked out power on a weekend to, to tens of thousands of customers okay. uh, in this area. And there was a couple getting married on that on that Saturday. Power went out. They were trying to figure out what they were going to do. The church didn't have any electricity. Thought they'd go someplace else, but then realized most of the town didn't have electricity. But they had their reception booked at the Bubolts Nature Center, which, thanks to the microgrid, was running as if it had no idea that they were, or was running completely off-grid because there was no grid to connect to. So the wedding and everything went off, apparently without a hitch, all powered by on-site energy generation and storage capacity from any number of the, the sources that were running. So How cool wedding, is that? Wedding, wedding went on without a hitch. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if your, your locale is, is prepped for uh, I'll tell you uh, what. such an occurrence. <laughs> we, uh, we investigated everything we could about reception venues and wedding venues and what color napkins we need and all of those kind of things. And we didn't look into the resiliency of our facilities. I, now I'm feeling very exposed and concerned because it's going to be Pittsburgh in late October. That is so cool. Certainly an unintended uh, result of installing a reliable and sustainable microgrid, but we're, we're definitely happy for the couple. <laughs> I mean, I, you say it's unintended, and I agree. I'm sure that I, I'm almost positive that that wasn't something they looked into, but it is becoming a lot more intentional, uh, this, this concept of resiliency for certain types of facilities. And I don't know if nature centers are first and foremost in that realm, but Lots of folks are talking about how do we stay online? How are we bolstered against a grid outage? It's awesome to see a real story where, you know, your application has created real world benefit uh, already through something like that. You know, that was one of the main purposes behind building the microgrid in the first place is to give us a test bed and an experimental station, so to speak, to look at the technologies and how the integration works. We're, we're on Smart Buildings podcast right now. You know, we couldn't operate that building in an off-grid, islanded mode with 100% of our self-generation without being able to control the building simultaneously. You can always shed load by turning breakers off, but everything that's connected to that breaker has a microprocessor in it of some variety or another. Right. So you can't really turn the stuff off to load shed, so we're taking input feeds from the energy generation system and then applying that into the building automation system to control the mechanical plant based on what our available generating capacity is. It sounds like you guys have learned a lot through that experiment there. I, I also anticipate, maybe, hopefully, as a result of this conversation, a driving factor for conversations you, you could have potentially with uh, upcoming customers could involve resiliency and microgrid and stuff like that. What are you know typical driving factors that are brought to your attention? Reliability of the electrical grid in general, obviously with the massive wildfires out in California, yep. even in Wisconsin, within the last two months, there was a massive distribution transformer failure in the city of Madison that as a result, you know, shut down most of state government because the transformer was right next to the, to the Capitol. So unfortunately, the, the grid is not getting any younger. And I think there's going to be a renewed, renewed focus from a facility's point of view as to what, what is required as far as reliability and sustainability. Companies are coming to grips with carbon offsets and what's their sustainable footprint. And I think the, those conversations that, that happen more and more is going to push people more towards on-site and renewable generation rather than just having fossil fuel, right. power plant, electricity. I think a, a lot of what you're hitting on here is this 
continued trend of electrification, but also one of decentralization from the traditional way of grid reliance and moving towards the smart grid. And when I think of grid, you know, I, I'm not really thinking about occupants and buildings so often. I'm thinking clearly outside of buildings when I consider the grid. But a lot of times on this show, we talk about occupant experience as a, a big driver for digital construction. Does that apply to your work as well? Oh, for sure. I, I, and I think we're, we, we are in the beginning stages of that. You know, there's a, there's a race for, for human capital across about 100% <laughs> industries in, in this country. So right. what is it that you can do to, to keep your people happy, yep. engaged, productive, and then what technologies are you using or showing that you have to use as a, as a recruiting tool too? So I think absolutely. The awareness in the marketplace, I think the awareness in the engineering community, I think awareness in, in what an owner is, is wanting to get out of the facility now is changing. Um, with this awareness that's coming through the owner channel and into the engineers and, and, and all these discussions you're having, has that changed the relationship between, I mean, you guys aren't necessarily an electrical contractor only anymore, but partners, electrical contractors, has that changed uh, the relationship uh, with manufacturers like Schneider Electric for you? I, I think it has because back in the olden days when I when I started interaction with with Schneider or, or then mostly Square D was this is what I need how much does it cost and when can you get it <laughs> when when, <laughs> yeah. when can you get it to me and then why you know why yeah. why isn't it here when I when I need it yeah but now it's partnering it's it's leveraging the technical experts that that Schneider has I mean obviously we're we're a fairly large company but still way smaller than a than a global powerhouse like like schneider electric and you know we have the opportunity to, to lean on and leverage your experts and product knowledge and design specialists as well and work as a more symbiotic relationship than just somebody we would buy a product from yeah I, and that's something that you know i've had the benefit of seeing during my career as well as you mentioned before it is a lot more involved now than it ever has been previously but I think even with that, there's a, a, a broader understanding of different value chain players of let's have these conversations early and be really strategic. And as things become more focused on digital technology, let's bring in the digital technology and, and figure out you know, what the best approach can be up front. I think that's a great development um, for our industry in terms of occupants, of course, um, but also ultimately uh, sustainability and energy efficiency. So Jason, this is obviously a show about smart buildings. Um, mm -hmm. from, from the contractor channel, uh, you are known to be a champion and advocate of the smart buildings approach. And you've already spoken to that plenty in mm -hmm. this conversation today. Yeah. How often are you now seeing RFPs that are asking for smart building integration? We're certainly in an early stage where the requests and RFPs are gonna need uh, to be further defined um, mm -hmm. and, and detailed out as to what exactly does the word integration mean yeah. on any one particular system? Yeah. Right? We, can, we can make things talk, but what do you really want it to talk to and why, and what is it supposed to do when they when they actually talk together? So, But we're, we're in the early stages in the industry. So it sounds like there's an uptick in frequency in the RFPs that are asking for smart and integrated, but we have a lot of things that we still need to figure out in terms of what that actually is. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the momentum is there, but I think defining what exactly the criteria is, how are we going to define what the integration is, who's going to be responsible for it, 
and ultimately how do we implement and, and determine whether or not we have a successful implementation and right. whether it's met the, met the owner's goals or, or still works in progress across our, across our industry. But the I, fact that we're having the conversation pushes us further ahead to, to making some definite definitions on roles and responsibilities and, and how these systems are going to come together. Precisely. Um, so there's a lot of you know, really cool things going on. We've discussed a lot of unique projects, um, experimentation that you all have been doing, an understanding that we're kind of early days and things like that. Um, you recently wrote a blog that I thought was really, really strong that seemed to give some guidance to owners and anybody who might be interested in IoT-enabled smart building projects. What kind of questions uh, might somebody in that position want to be asking themselves to determine if this is something they want to pursue? There's a couple of things. One is, why do you want to do an integration? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's so much overwhelming information and data about new technologies and new products coming out literally every day. Uh, I think you and I spend uh, probably a fair amount of time <laughs> looking at those and, <laughs> yeah. and reviewing those and, and the articles and the, and, and the hype. Obviously, there's there's a lot of technology that is brand new and, and unproven. But the question I, I ask people is, why do you want to do this? Is are, are you doing it because you read about it in a magazine article or you saw it on, on LinkedIn and you think it's, it would be cool? Right. Or is this actually going to solve something useful for you? Right. So if you, if you can't answer the why are we doing this and how does it solve a, a useful business concern for me, then you probably shouldn't do it. That's a pretty good place to start, yep. Yeah, so, you know, then then it gets into uh, your part of your previous conversation about how do we actually go about designing and yep. implementing these kind of projects. And I would say that the next major question and, and hurdle is if you've decided that you want to implement this technology because or solution because it solves some business problem for you, whatever that is, have you thought about how you budget for that? Mm-hmm. Because some technology is going to cost some level of capital investment for you. But I think what we're not doing such a great job is analyzing. So let's say a system costs $100,000 to implement and it frees up facility staff to actually go do facilities work. So what's the offset for the $100,000 capital investment over the life of the building versus two or three humans that you don't have enough of to begin with. <laughs> right. And, you know, and uh, I'm guessing they combined probably cost more than $100,000 in just one year. So, yep. but that, those are the, the CapEx and OpEx discussions in the typical construction project development are not things that are analyzed very well. Yeah, that life cycle understanding for sure. Very, very yep. important. Yep. And then I guess the next question is, is how are you going to get a team to actually develop your solution and implement it? And then how sort of as a corollary to that, how do you contract that out? So the first part or in conversations I've had with consultants, which is actually what, what generated the, the impetus for the blog in the first place. Okay. You know, I, I think there's there's definitely an argument to be made for for working jointly with consulting firms in driving these kinds of solutions. You know, the consulting engineer can can bring the the broad view and the client interaction, and bringing the rest of the team together. But then, if we're all aligned with, I guess I would call an implementation partner, 
somebody that has the technical knowledge behind the products and the, the ability to price the implementation and bring that together in a cohesive strategy so that the end user who's trying to purchase the solution knows what the costs are and knows how to budget for it. Because I can, I can tell you, the easiest way to not have an integrated smart building is not to budget for it in the first place. And Absolutely. It will be the first thing to get cut in the horrible value engineering, <laughs> value, <laughs> yep. which is really value unengineering or unvalue engineering, but uh, it will be the first thing to get axed, and it is probably the, the worst thing to ax out of a project in the long run. Yeah, and Jason, I think that makes a lot of sense. So, so you, you say the first thing is, okay, why do you want to do this? What's the business case or the use case you want to accomplish? And then everything you discuss there is quite similar to what you have been telling us throughout this podcast about bringing the value chain further up and working together earlier with budget considerations, bringing in the technology professionals before it goes down the, the process where it can be value engineered out. So sitting at the table very early with IT and the folks that might be implementing the things that can help you over the life cycle of the building um, so that it's not sort of passed down that traditional chain. That I believe is what you're saying and that makes a lot of sense to me. My, my bet is the odds are if you did a traditional sort of design bid build and just sort of randomly throw people together in a project team to try and deliver a smart building solution based on low bid project team acquisition, that that's probably not going to lead to a very successful because uh, implementation, because so much of what you have to line out is has to be engineered into the project. There's it's the, the systems integration and smart building technology touches so many pieces of the, the project, you know, they have to be thought out ahead of time for them to be successfully implemented. And then once they're implemented, another thing that I remember you writing is that you've got to figure out a way to make sure it works, right? So you ask something along the lines of, how are you going to vet the technology as being very important? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from an owner standpoint, how do you verify that what vendors claim is actually what can happen? And I think there's a case to be made there for requiring proof of concept testing, lab benching, and, and trying to prove integrations before we go down a really expensive integration strategy, only to find out that the end result isn't really what right isn't, isn't really what anybody anybody thought. I think that that fits in perfectly as well with you know having the business case or the use case bringing the right people to the table early and changing the game on that front which i think is a you know if there's if there's one thing i've picked up in this conversation that portion of it is evolving bringing the right people early and then being honest about what you're trying to vet and doing those proof of concepts and you might have a formula for a successful integrated smart building project that's the whole reason why i as a solution architect for faith and the rest of my solutions architect colleagues exist is to meet with end user clients and and help them with their digital transformation journey if you will some of those journeys are relatively small projects but i think a lot of these start with the small projects and once once you get buy-in on those then then they start asking for well can we do this and can we do this and can we do this and then, you know <laughs> yeah. and then how how do we add those those services on but far more smaller integration projects than there are, you know, mass capital expenditure 
projects. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think as people are starting to figure it out, that makes a lot of sense for it to start there. And from my interactions with you, you've been a really strong evangelist for the movement. And you're a, a leading voice in the, this building technology industry from that perspective. And I like to ask everybody, I know you've heard this before, but it'd be great uh, to get your answer on uh, what excites you about being a professional in this industry today. We are seeing a uh an order of magnitude change in, in how we go about specifying, designing, implementing building projects. I think the requirements are going to be completely different than what they have been. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the technology that's available now, the ability to integrate, the ability to, as we talked about, getting better occupant interaction with facilities uh, at multiple levels, I think is, is going to be a monumental shift in, in the design, engineering, and construction industry as a whole. It's relatively easy in the greenfield arena, but definitely within the brownfield renovation and, I guess, recreation of existing facilities and how they're going to be repurposed in the future, which is really not that far. <laughs> the future is 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 kind of now. now how, how we change it here in the next couple of years is going to be fascinating. And that's uh, that's what really excites me. It's be interesting to to have this uh, this conversation in the next story up season thirty two or something. Like <laughs> Let's that. do it. Yeah, and then see how how the industry has changed in the next three or four years because I think it's going to be swift and I think it's going to be pretty drastic. It is exciting to be in the industry right now. There is a lot of change. I hope that you keep your voice active because I love the things that you publish and the type of stuff that you've been working on. And I really appreciate you coming on as a guest here. And I'm sure the audience is really thankful as well. So thanks again. It's been awesome having you on. Thank you, Tyler. I appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you today. Well, everyone, wish me luck. When next you hear my voice, if all goes well, not only will it be the final episode of our second season, but I should be a married man. And as I swung for the fences to land, again, hopefully, my future wife, so have others before us in staking out bold challenges to find lasting success in other grand endeavors. We'll talk about perhaps the most famous of those with, and you know what, I'll say it, with another pretty decent guest joining us in the season finale in the next Story Up. I am so excited to develop, produce, and host the Schneider Electric Next Story Up podcast, and most importantly, to share it with a listener like you, possessing the same interest and passion in promoting smart building services for the benefit of all. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I'm Tyler Hake. finally yesterday and I started listening to it again this morning I'm like wow marriage is uh, marriage is a contractual obligation <laughs> yeah I'm really excited for uh, Sarah to hear this whenever it comes out I'm sure it's going to be the most romantic thing she's ever heard in her life
Well, the, the good news is, is you know, um, if you're getting married on Saturday, I assume you're going on a, on a honeymoon and stuff like that. So we my are. guess is her first priority is not listening to the next up podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it hardly ever is, as far as I can tell. 